Hi, this is Steven. I once trained and worked as an actor in Hollywood. Today, I host Hollywood and Beyond podcast here in my hometown of Cincinnati, where I strive to bring you meaningful interviews. I hope you will enjoy my podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy! Hi, this is Stephen. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. You are just moments away from my new interview with filmmaker and actor Miles Doliak, who returns to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast to discuss his new film, The Dinner Party. It is going to be an exciting and very in-depth conversation. Trust me on this. First, though, how about a quick look from Miles' first visit here on the show, back on Season 1, Episode number 43, where Miles joined me to discuss his edgy horror film, Hollowed Ground. Here's a quick look. Now available on Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. A married couple travels to a secluded cabin in hopes of rebuilding their relationship after an affair. Upon arrival, they are warned about trespassing on the neighboring clan's property and become caught up in a mystery involving Native American spirits and a bitter blood feud. This looks like your kind of place. Here the soil runs thick with memory. This land has been in my family for generations. So quiet. Hear a wolf howls and a blood red moon, and a night bird screams a song. There's a glory in red. Oh my god. You came onto our property. Didn't you see the signs? Be mindful of that property line now. Nita, don't go overreacting. We're simply. Responding to a complaint. Our neighbors are vehemently possessive of their land, as they call it. Tonight, we have the opportunity for sacrifice. Sanguis vita est. Sanguis sanguinum habendus est. We made deals with devils. There are many powerful spirits here. I'm not disturbing you pretty ladies, am I? A little bit, yeah. I'm in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're actually gearing up for the world premiere of Hallowed Ground uh, here in my hometown, where we shot the film on this Friday evening, hosted by the Grand Theater here. So uh, it's going to be a very, very big night. We're looking forward to that. Miles Doliak, Hallowed Ground. Now available on Season 1, Episode number 43, here on Hollywood and Beyond. Be sure to give it a listen to today. And now, on to my new conversation with the extremely talented filmmaker 
and superb actor Miles Doliak, who returns to Hollywood and beyond to discuss The Dinner Party. When playwright Jeffrey Duncan and his beautiful wife accept an invitation from a culinary enthusiast, having promised to fund Duncan's new play to Broadway, they are unaware that as the evening descends into madness, the group's true intentions will be revealed, along with an ancient secret that will change the Duncan's lives and fortunes forever. This is The Dinner Party. How are you feeling? We got this. Mm-hmm. I got this. You know, these people at this party, they got Henrik Shepard's last three plays produced. All I need is the first one. <laughs> Come in. Make yourselves at home in the room to your right. If we impress these people, my play is headed straight for Broadway. This house is so weird. You don't look comfortable. I have to say, you have a one hell of a house here. How often do you have these dinners? These secret dinners. No one, no one knows we're here. Uh, in fact, uh, they think we're on vacation. Let's eat. Hi, friends and listeners. This is Stephen Brittingham, your host. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. Your connection to the heart of Hollywood and beyond. So nice to have all of you listening today. Thank you so much. All of your support is very much appreciated by me. And I tell you what, I am really enjoying this stretch of guests who are coming back to the show for their second visit. And today is certainly no exception. As mentioned at the top of the episode, Miles Doliak, filmmaker, actor, and he does both so very well. Very impressive. Very talented man. He is back today to discuss a different project, The Dinner Party. And it's my pleasure to welcome him back to the show. Miles Duliak, welcome back to Hollywood and Beyond. Hi, Stephen. So glad to be here. It's so glad to have you here. Thank you so much. i uh, tell you what, it was about this time last year that you first visited me to discuss another project. So I'd like to say uh, that might just kind of be our uh, time to speak every year. Sounds good to me. I'd love to be making a (laughs) film a year. Yeah, we talked hallowed ground, didn't we? Yes, we sure did. And I really enjoyed that film. That movie, by the way, hallowed ground, Stephen, is now on Tubi TV. So if if you've got some Tubi TV fans uh, listening... Uh, they can access Hallowed Ground on Tubi now. So give it a watch there if you're interested. Well, thank you for sharing that, Miles. Uh, very much appreciate that. And how has the, been the response of Hallowed Ground since we last spoke? Uh, well, you know, we have gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of praise about that film. Um, and it's, I think it's, it's gained a lot of steam. It was a little slow out of the gate. Um, it was a film that we had a lower budget on that film than any of the features that, that I've directed thus far, any of the five. Um, and it was, it really was a labor of love. I mean, it was, it was utilitarian style, all hands on deck kind of indie filmmaking, um, probably more so than anything else that we've done. Um, but I was just really pleased with how it turned out the two central performances from Lindsay and Williams and Sherry Eakin playing the married couple who falls into this horrific situation uh, are just exquisite. And uh, 
really getting to showcase that uh, southern Mississippi hot as hell uh, landscape of you know the, the the pines and the live oaks and um, really really proud of that film and um, you know it's 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 taken a little while to get some traction and to, and to find its niche and to find its audience but uh, it's getting there so we feel pretty good about where we are. And once again, we thank uh, Keith Leppard and Uncourt Entertainment for all the hard work he does uh, for all of our films, including uh, Hallie Ground and The Dinner Party. Thank you for the update, Miles. Congratulations on the growth of the film. You know, sometimes it does take a while to, to, to get, uh, you know, to have a project develop in a way that we uh, originally hope. And I'm so pleased to hear that. Very well-directed film. And you are responsible for the direction of that film. I, I, I have to say, though, such a talented cast, lots of great performances in that film. But certainly, you have to add yourself to that list. I really uh, like your screen presence, which to me is instantly strong and intriguing. Well, thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, I, I play uh, Bill Barham in that film, uh, the... Uh, would-be sheriff's uh, deputy and cult leader. Uh, so uh, it was, uh, you know, what can I say? I, I, I hope I wrote a nice, juicy role for myself, and uh, I had wonderful actors to play off of, including Lindsay and Sherry and Jeremy Sandy and uh, Richie Montgomery, of course, uh, who also yes. appears in the dinner party. R Richie is always a, a delight uh, to work with. But I think it's... Um, it's one of those things in the in indie world that a lot of folks don't realize is that unlike with a lot of studio pictures where, you know, if, if you don't have a crackerjack opening weekend, you're oftentimes dead in the water. Indie films that are primarily seen on streaming platforms often gather momentum via word of mouth, via uh, viral disability, um, people talking about it, genre sites, um, I, I, I love uh, to see our films getting covered by all these genre sites, whether it's you know, horrornews.net or Dread Central or uh, we're doing the Without Your Head pon podcast uh, uh, a little later on this week. Um, because fans of the genre follow those sites and talk on those sites. Um, and a lot of the, uh, you know, we've had uh, films that, all of a sudden, you know, had been out for a year and suddenly we get a, a, a bump in quarterly revenue uh, and seemingly unexplainable. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's just some, sometimes it's, it's about it reaching, you know, finally, finally reaching that level uh, of, of mass consumption where people know about it. They've heard about it. They're talking about it. They've seen it on enough sites. Um, or, you know, it, it finds a new platform by virtue of an increased visibility and, and, and good word of mouth and good reviews across different spectrums, um, like a 2B TV or some, you know, something along that line. So, um, yeah, sometimes within the, in the indie world, it really does, it's a little different. There's more of kind of a slow burn snowball effect oftentimes that, I mean, now, don't get me wrong, we're going to talk about the dinner party and... You know, I would love for everybody to roll out and watch the dinner party in the very first week of its release. Um, but I don't necessarily anticipate that that's the way the dinner party is going to break through. Um, a lot, a lot on streaming in the streaming world in the cable VOD world. Uh, oftentimes, you know, you just have to be a little patient um, and wait for the thing to build. And that's a, that's a lot about you know word of mouth. And I, I often tell folks. Uh, who say nice things about my films? Look, I, I appreciate you telling me. I, I, I more than you can possibly know because, of course, an incredible amount of work uh, and blood and sweat go into these films. But get on one of these platforms on Amazon, on IMDb, on iTunes, or what, whatever, on on a, one of these chat boards, on one of these genre sites, and talk up our films, review our films. Um, User reviews matter. And the fact of the matter is the trolls are going to get on 
these platforms and trash your film. It doesn't matter how good it is. Uh, they have a particularly keen sense uh, to trash indie films for some reason. I don't don't really understand. Maybe they don't have the perspective that hey, hey we're working with a lot less in the way of resources and time uh, and technology oftentimes than big studio films. So they they like to pick on us. Um, and they will get on. They'll get on IMDb and Amazon and trash your film. Uh, but not enough fans of the film go out there, put put themselves out there, and write reviews and and talk it up. And I mean, a, one user review, one good user review on Amazon is worth quite a lot. And um, you know, if if that one user review exposes, sorry to use that word. I couldn't think of anything better off the top of my head. Uh, in, in That'll COVID work. World, uh, is, is that one user review exposes 15, 20 new viewers, new fans uh, to, to our film, who then go on and write user reviews, who are then out talking about our film on social media. That, that snowball begins to build. And that's how indie films really get traction. It's, it's, a, it's the long game. You know, and I think that's what a lot of people don't recognize. So if you haven't seen Hallowed Ground and you're thinking, well, it's been a year ago, I'm, uh, you know, d- don't go seek it out. Find it's on every major streaming platform, save Netflix at this point. Um, go seek it out and watch it. And if you like it, say something nice about it. on one of those one of those platforms, um, it really it really it's a marathon, not a sprint in the independent film world. Well said, Miles. Thank you for the update on Hallowed Ground. And I would like to say that I agree wholeheartedly with all that you uh, just expressed. You are correct. First of all, these services that support independent film projects, they really do make a big difference. They help films like yours grow. And I'd like to say uh, thank you to those uh, services, podcasts, also, the written form, as you know, Miles, makes a huge mm-hmm. difference. And I would just like to throw in my thoughts as well on a couple things you said. And is that, yes, a user review goes so far. And I really mm-hmm. want to encourage people out there. You know, Miles is spot on. You think you're not going to make much of a difference. But if you really enjoyed, especially an independent film project, Please take the time to leave some comments, and it really does make a big difference, especially to a person who may not know much about that film at all. They might become very interested and intrigued. Probably avoid spoilers. I I occasionally come across things where I think too much has been said, (laughs) but but a, a, a good description is wonderful, and I have to tell you, Miles, even for my podcast, you know, when I... Uh, ask people to please leave a, a rating or a, or, or a review. It's because I know it can make a big difference, and I'm always Absolutely. grateful. Absolutely, I, and I I just think people just don't get that. I, I don't. I think people don't truly appreciate how much it means. You know, in, in some ways, it's kind of like voting. You know, it's like, well, I'm just one person. What can my vote mean? What What does it really count for? Well, you know, it counts for a lot. <laughs> and a user review is exactly the same thing. It does. And, you know, when I ask people, uh, you know, hey, if you do enjoy my show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, especially those two listening platforms. It really does make a difference. And and I would also like to add, Miles, that you are correct as far as trolls or another phrase could be uh, just mean people. I mean, (laughs) yes, you know what I mean. I have to say, because, you know, you know, Miles, that I'm also an actor and writer. I have to say over the years, as well as being a podcast host, I just would like to say that I have learned that if you expect those type of individuals to do what they do in advance, it does soften the blow. And Mm -hmm. if you really, really think about it, those aren't the people that you're necessarily trying to reach. Uh, they're right. really going around trashing all sorts of people projects and even people who are extremely well-known or, or even famous in our industry miles, they get trolled and trashed as well. And you know what? It's just part of the artistic journey, unfortunately. Yeah. Look, I mean, you have to have rhinoceros hide to, 
to work in this business and certainly to have any longevity in this business. Uh, because not the fact of the matter is not everybody's going to like what you do. And a lot of people are going to hate what you do, no matter the quality. Uh, I mean, that's just a fact. Um, you know, I think about, you know, what Ryan Johnson went through with the last Jedi. I mean, you know, yes. Getting death threats and things like this. I mean, you know, it's just absurd. It's absolutely absurd that there are people that, I don't know, maybe they're sitting around in their mother's basement eating Twinkies all day and they'd have nothing better to do but <laughs> trash everybody's art. I, I don't know. But I but yeah, you have to you have to anticipate it. One hundred percent. And um if you anticipate it, uh it does mitigate the the blow. It does because the fact of the matter, you know, artists can say all day long, I don't care about reviews. Reviews mean nothing. Uh, but they still read them. At least, at least every artist I know, they still read those reviews and they still take those things to heart because the fact of the matter is a keen critic, a constructive critic might have something to say about your film that, that you can learn from. Huh, I didn't think about it that way. Well, on the next one, I'm, re- I'm going to consider that. And that's why I have no problem at all with a thoughtful critic offering some some well-informed constructive criticism of my films. Um, You know, especially when it's clear that the critic has watched the film closely. They know who the characters are and the actors that are playing those characters. They know the major plot points. When that is clear in their review and they have something negative but constructive to say about my film, I'm all for it. Because I'm always looking for ways to improve as a filmmaker or as an actor, or as a writer, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, when you get people that, you know, say, oh, I watched the first 10 minutes of this piece of trash and turned it off, but, but I'm still oh compelled to go on IMDb and write a negative review, mm-hmm. that's, I just don't have any time for people like that. Well, that makes two of us. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I've noticed a lot of these people seem angry. Have you noticed that, Miles? It's like they're I, I, angry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like they're they're offended by your work in some way. Yes. And I you know I don't really know how what to say about that. I mean, you know, good art hopefully does push some buttons. Hopefully it does make you a little uncomfortable at times. Hopefully it does make you reevaluate some preconceived notions at times. Uh in addition to being entertaining and taking you on the ride, which I think is really first and foremost what it's about but it's also about making you think you know that's um, right and staying true so, to your heart as an artist i think that is the most important thing of all yep well miles thank you for all of that i really appreciate it. it's one of the things i love to provide on my show is is just uh all kinds of interesting and meaningful conversations and and you certainly do that uh, thank you well the dinner party you know, I should have a template just for you, Miles, that says director, writer, actor, producer. <laughs> it's the same description <laughs> as hollowed ground. And here you are at it again. Uh, no surprise to me whatsoever that the quality of the uh, film is very high. I really like a lot of your shots. You know, it took me like less than just a couple minutes to see some creative shots that you had done with this playwright and his beautiful wife pulling up to this uh, really big home. And, you know, I, I just, I really like your style of filmmaking. I dig it. I understand it. And you actually help a scene expand with your uh, shots and the way you set them up. And I really like that. So well done on that part, uh, Miles, once again. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, this was the second feature uh, on which I had the good fortune to work with Michael Williams, who also shot Hallowed Ground. Um, and Michael has an exquisite eye. And Michael and I really made it a point to prep and to prepare and to talk and to plan out the visual aesthetic of this film. In, in a in a more meticulous way than than I have done in the past, I I almost wanted to take a kind of art historical approach to the look of this film because of who these people are, 
I know what the things that they're talking about and, and the, the pedigree that they so uh, pride themselves on. Um, so we used Baroque paintings in particular as inspiration. Uh, artists like Caravaggio and Ribera um, in terms of framing, in terms of uh, depth of field, uh, color, um, blacks, backgrounds, these sorts of things. Um, and we let that imbue the design of the entire film, beginning, of course, with the cinematography, but also the production design, the costume design, and, and kudos to Julie Tosh, my production designer, and the you know incredible, multi-talented Lindsay Ann Williams, uh, the costume design. Um, so we, we really let that stuff inform us, and we really allowed ourselves to just burrow down that rabbit hole. Um, and... You know, Michael did a, a, a fantastic job. He and his team uh, really are to be commended uh, on the work they did in this this film. And uh, you know, in, in terms of the, in the look and the framing, the lighting. Um, and then I work with the best colorist in the business. I, you not? I mean, I, I won't. I won't hear another argument. Bradley Greer of Kyoto Color in New Orleans, uh, who always puts the fi- final touches on my films. Um, and man, he is his work is is just sublime. Um, and it's uh, every every day I sit in the color suite with him and go, how in the hell am I lucky enough to be working with this guy? So, a solid team. Yeah, a lot of good folks coming together. And and of course my I mentioned Lindsay, who's also plays Sadie and and, and is yes. a producer. And then and then my other two producers, Jim Bullion and uh, Wesley O'Mary, I have to shout out to them as well. Uh, team effort for sure team effort and and i would like to tip my hat to all of them now miles and please let them know that i also said i just was so impressed with all of their efforts this film is very atmospheric and i know a lot of that had to do with their efforts so i would just like to take the time to say very well uh, done to the crew of the dinner party i will pass that along Well, thank you, sir. And I'll tell you what, I did give a brief description of the dinner party, but I was saving the big description, the more vivid description for you, uh, because in a way it's kind of challenging. And I just thought, since you are the filmmaker, if someone was uh, asking you what the dinner party was all about, how would you best describe your film to that person? Well, so the short synopsis is um, an aspiring playwright and his wife are invited to dinner at the home of wealthy, uh, renowned surgeon and culinary enthusiast, uh, Carmine Braun, um, and his cadre of uh, rogue cultural elites um, on the promise that they might bankroll our playwright's new play to Broadway. Um, uh, they have these... Uh, semi-annual dinners and, and they're always inviting uh, up-and-coming artists and uh, on this particular evening our up-and-coming playwright Jeffrey Duncan and his wife Haley get invited to dine with them um, and through the course of the evening we find out that our, our dinner hosts have darker designs in mind for our playwright and his wife and uh, a, a, an ancient secret is revealed that is ultimately going to change the lives of the Duncans and, and in our case everybody at, the, at this particular dinner party. Perhaps the hosts were not expecting that element. <laughs> um, and uh, you know the film is uh, it has elements of, of a lot of films that I really admire and like um, Eyes Wide Shut. I read a review today that actually compared it to eyes wide shut that holy crap that never happens <laughs> when it when a critic <laughs> you critic don't hear that every day put, yeah uh eyes wide shut of course stanley kubrick um darren aronofsky's mother which is a film that is uh, not entirely successful maybe but damn aronofsky swings for the fences and i i admire uh his his courage in in so many ways uh, because he he's just like, look, I, I'm either going to knock this thing, you know, to the moon, or I'm going to, you know, strike out famously. He, he is he is a one of the most fearless filmmakers that we have in our industry, and and uh, you know, Mother was 
I don't even know what to say about it because I was just, wow, he did that. So, um, so it has elements of, of mother, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, um, a little bit of, a little bit of American horror story anthology, uh, maybe some of the, the, the more, uh, upper crust renditions that like hotel, um, and, uh, you know, a little bit, I often say a little bit of Rocky horror picture show in that, sure. in that robes gallery, sort of eclectic personalities, you know, it was a dark night and, uh, this couple seemingly seeking shelter and solace in this gargantuan mansion actually finds something much more twisted and perverse. So I think all of those threads sort of came together, uh, to form this story. And I, I have to also thank my co-writer on this, Michael Donovan Horn, who helped create this world uh, with me. Um, And and, and I just found these characters so fresh and so interesting at the end of the day. And um, some of them, you know, came to me, this script came to me uh, from Michael Horn through Jim Boulian, one of our lead producers, Um, the bones of it. And the bones were really good. A lot of the characters were really, really interesting. And then, but it needed some narrative cohesion, I thought. And so Michael and I began working on it together. Um, and ultimately, the, the narrative cohesion emerged in the character of Sadie, um, who was not in the original draft, believe it or not. It's hard to imagine the film without her now. But um, Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, she, she sort of became the, the axis, the, the, the axial point. Um, yes. The fire around definitely. which all the moths. Yeah. Uh, revolve. So, um, and it was just, it it, it was unlike anything I'd done today. And it was so in, in some respects, such a departure from say hallowed ground, which was this kind of rustic Southern Gothic, you know, you could compare to even something like deliverance, like this sort of nasty, you know, Mm -hmm. in the woods, horror kind of cult thing. I mean, you know, both movies have cults, Yes. Um, this this moved to the other end of the spectrum into into this sort of very sophisticated, elegant, artsy, refined, polished look, and we wanted the we wanted these characters and the aesthetic of this um, to to convey that, and um, while at the same time to to also you know have a little social heft and resonance, you know I I, I try to try to be, I don't know, responsible, if that's the correct term, mm-hmm. as an artist, and and give my audiences a little something to think about in, in all of my films. Um, I love the fact that this one, like Hallowed Ground, is female forward, and I, I hope to continue to be, be making films and providing strong, good, strong, complicated roles for women, because as we know, you know, there, ha- there has never been enough of them. That is good, strong roles for women in our industry. Um, the tide is turning, I hope. Um, and, and of course, once again, this film allowed me to play in a sandbox that I really, really enjoy playing in and am fascinated by, and that is uh, religion, um, an ancient religion at that. And um, we may have talked last time. I, I have a PhD in ancient history, and my my specialty is early Christianity, uh, but in, in studying early Christianity, I, of course, studied a, a huge swath of ancient Mediterranean uh, religions, uh, including Minoan religion and, and the Minoan snake goddess plays a, a, a bit of a role, if you're watching in this film, the spiral goddess and uh, mother goddess cults from the ancient Mediterranean, the ancient Near East, and, and that's just that's just something that gets me going. And I, and so we, uh, I love the fact that that's a critical element of the film. And does that tie into this description of Southern Gothic or how would you describe that term Southern uh, Gothic? Um, Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, Southern, Southern Gothic, I think, you know, Gothic, I often think of macabre. I often think of, uh, I think of, gargoyles i think of um the grotesque uh i mm-hmm. think of um 
you know, the, the extremes of the human psyche and, and mm-hmm. exploring and plumbing the depths of the human psyche, even when it takes us to a twisted and perverse psychoanalytical place. And, and that's what part of what we're doing here in, in the dinner party, exploring this idea that in some respects, most all of our characters in this movie are victims of abuse. And many of them have been taken that abuse um, and as a coping mechanism, turned it around and become the victimizers. They, you know, and that's from a psychoanalytical perspective, and you know, and looking at sort of the human, the human id, and the sort of fight or flight, and how human beings compartmentalize and defend themselves, and and endure uh, oftentimes extreme trauma. I just thought that was an interesting road to go down. And anyway, I'm 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 going off on a, you know in, down a rabbit hole. Um, and then Southern, Southern Gothic, I mean, I, you know, I often think of things like a film like Deliverance, um, uh, where you have these extreme, grotesque kind of examples. Uh, but but it, it doesn't always, I mean, I, I, I would consider my, uh, uh, my second film, The Hollow, in that sort of, in that realm of Southern Gothic, right? Because it's not... It's not necessarily the world and the characters don't necessarily go to caricature, but they're often avatars or extreme examples of a particular trope or trend in that in the region, say, right? Which, right? There, there are maybe some examples of of the the hillbillies that do what they do in in Deliverance that live some in some places in the South. I mean, there no doubt are, um, but, the, but the way they are represented in, I, mean, I haven't talked this much about deliverance maybe ever. I, it's very strange, <laughs> but, um, uh, well, I'm glad that you, uh, the way are they doing are represented so now in that film, that the, the way they are represented in that film is, is the extreme, right? Look, you've got two hours to take your audience somewhere mm-hmm. to, to, to entertain and enthrall and engross and, and, and poke and prod and make them think. So, so sometimes you go back to the Darren Aronofsky example. Sometimes you have to, you know, kick the door in and, and goth Gothic often does that. Right. Yes. Whether it's, you know, with something grotesque or an extreme example of, you know, um, which is why, you know, of course the hollow, this is my second film has to take place in a dry County and the FBI agent who comes down to investigate these murders is an alcoholic. So that's it. So, you know, you're pitting you go. dreams <laughs> against, against, against one another, right? Yes, and that adds um, a lot of element to it, doesn't it? It, it, right. it, like, creates an instant edge. Right. Right. So that was a long, circuitous answer to your question, but I hope, <laughs> I, I hope I basically answered it. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Miles. I really appreciate your insight. It's very interesting. You're certainly very knowledgeable about uh, so many subjects, including, of course, filmmaking. If you don't mind me adding, your description was so good that it brought a film to mind. Now, I wouldn't use the term Southern Gothic, so I'll use the term Gothic, because I've actually described this film to people with that term. And it may surprise you, but it is my favorite horror sequel of all time, which is Psycho 2. And your description fits that gothic mind of the psychological torment of Norman Bates and the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, he, you know, there's basically a, a return, you know, to his demented uh, way of thinking, but, you know, his struggle to change, you know, and all the other elements. So you made me think of, of Psycho too. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of psychoanalysis plays a big role in, in, in the Gothic genre or world, right? Um, yes. For precisely the reasons that we're, we're talking about. I mean, look at even something like the elephant man. I mean, yes. you know, we, it's not just about, you know, Frederick Treves treating John Merrick. It's about how these the years and years of abuse and, and marginalization, um, and insults have, you know, burrowed their way into John Merrick's head, right? Mm. 
And of course, you know, that movie and, you know, the two, the two main characters are played by exquisitely by uh, John Hurt and the, the brilliant one and only Anthony Hopkins. Yes. So, so yeah, I think, I think psychoanalysis plays a big, big role in, in when we're talking about Gothic. Um, you know, I think in terms of the dinner party, uh, Gothic is certainly a word that came to mind. Um, Southern, Southern Gothic, you know, I, I wanted the dinner party to be able to take place in anywhere USA. Um, and I would still say that, but I mean, Bill Sage's, you know, wonderful big daddy from cat on a hot tin roof accent, um, kind of pulls us into, in toward that kind of Southern world. Right. Yes. And, and I loved that. I had not originally intended that for Carmine and then Bill, uh, arrived in, in Hattiesburg to shoot the film. He said, Hey, I've got this idea. What would you think? And I, I said, you know, I love it because once again, right. It's, it was bold. It was bold mm-hmm. and it's kind of in your face. It's kind of like, yeah, of course this guy is, you know, like a modern day Southern plantation owner type. Um, mm-hmm. so building those broad sketches, especially because, you know, uh, some of our film certainly borders on satire, right? Um, sure. and in, in satire, you, you build these broad sketches that are a little over the top, um, to illustrate sort of the finer subtler points of your argument, uh, whatever it might be. So yeah, anyway, the, the, the long and short of it is, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, psychoanalysis plays an enormous role uh, in these types of films. Um, and, you know, that whole, the, the whole horror world from, you know, I think the early 60s when, when Hitchcock reinvented it, really, with, or invented it, maybe, with the original Psycho. Uh, into the 70s, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, uh, The Omen, mm-hmm. um, those those movies have played a huge role in my in my film journey, um, and you you may may be able to trace their influence in across my um, filmography. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you bring up Psycho too. Um, you well, know, thank we, you, I in uh, since we've been in quarantine, uh, Lindsay and I revisited uh, The Exorcist Three, which is also a oh. very underrated. Secret yes, with George C. Scott and Brad. Yes, Dora. sir. I just saw that um, recently again after many years. Yeah. Wow. Also quite underrated, you know. Yes. So. Uh, uh, I mean, that's g- maybe atmosphere. You know, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love films um, and, with and atmosphere. Maybe one of the things that that one of the good things that have has come out of this pandemic and people having to stay at home and hopefully wanting to stay at home. Is uh, is is revisiting you know some of these classic films and revisiting these these wonderful artists and and gaining a new appreciation for something that you know if they were going about their day and their regular nine to five or in their forty to sixty hour work weeks and so on and so on, yeah, you know, they they never would have taken the time. Uh, so I'm you know. Yes, it is a but, wonderful opportunity, you know, despite such I mean, a challenging about time. Psycho 2, The Exorcist 3, and Deliverance all in the same, <laughs> you know, podcast interview. Who knew? <laughs> you probably weren't expecting that today, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was not. Well, I, I would like to add, Miles, because, of course, you are very experienced as an actor yourself. You know, one of the things I really admire about George C. Scott was that he was able to often have you sympathize with his character. And he could do it yep. without even saying anything. It, it, the look on his face, I guess maybe it's that screen presence and the way he presented himself. And another horror film, I don't know if you've seen this, Miles, is The Changeling, which I would recommend yeah. if, if you've not seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, there's so much good stuff out there. You know, there there's so sure much good is. stuff out there. Uh, and... And uh, Rosemary's Baby, which uh, you know, we talked a, talked a little bit about. And when Bill Sage first, um, we started talking about him doing this movie, he mentioned Rosemary's Baby, and I hadn't even really thought about Rosemary's Baby, you know. And then, um, and then it too has come up in a couple of reviews and responses to the film. And I just think it's so interesting how, 
as an artist, you see these things and you sort of internalize it. And then, I mean, uh, yes, I think about my influences. You know, I think about, you know, I want to, <laughs> my, you know, my, my crew will often laugh at me because I'll be like, okay, here's where I want the Michael Mann shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but you, sometimes you will internalize it. You, 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 you know, you take something and you digest it, you internalize it. And, and then it just sort of becomes part of your artistic vernacular and you, you're not even thinking about it anymore. It's just yeah. almost by osmosis, right? It just it sort of seeps out of your creative pores. Um, and I mean, I, I think a lot of these films that we're talking about have, have had that impact on me in, in one way, shape or form. Well, it certainly shows. And, you know, this film is full of many eccentric characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you gave the reasons behind that uh, just moments ago. But I would like to ask you about the challenges of casting, in particular for a film like this. I mean, there are several scenes where, obviously, it takes place, you know, at a dinner table. And, right. you know, when actors are working so close together and there's a lot of banner and there's a lot of maybe hidden agendas going on, you know, that gets kind of tricky and challenging and it really takes precise casting. So I would like to say that you succeeded on that aspect. Everybody is perfectly casted and gives a great performance, uh, including yourself, Miles. And I would like to ask, though, were you heavily involved with the casting process? And what was it like for the dinner party? Yes. Uh, so I, I couldn't be more pleased, ultimately, with the cast of this film, and especially the, those folks sitting around the dinner table. And you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of this film takes place around that dinner table. And, and that is incredibly challenging uh, for the actors, um, for the script for the camera department, keeping that interesting and alive. Um, I think it was Walter Murch that said, you know, uh, most of you, you exhaust visually uh, a single room uh, in about 90 seconds for most viewers. Um, I think that was Walter Murch. I could be wrong, but um, so trying to keep this, this, this centerpiece, the dinner table, the dining room set, interesting and vibrant uh, throughout these, you know, long discursive uh, scenes was a real challenge. I knew it would take special actors. I think we found them. Um, and, and it starts with Bill Sage, who's sort of the ringmaster of our, of our proceedings. Um, and I was so lucky to have him. And, and uh, I have to thank not only Bill, but, but Rachel Sheedy, Bill's agent, who recommended Allie Hart to us, who plays Haley in the film. Uh, when we were talking to Rachel about Bill, she said, you know, I'm looking at the script, this role of Haley. I've got this wonderful young actress, Allie Hart. She hasn't done much, uh, but I think you're absolutely going to love her. I think she's going to be a big star. Uh, let her read for this and see what you think. And, and she did, she blew the producers away. Um, you know, I, I have a, I have a very limited circle of people who weigh in on, casting and in this in this instance it was we have four lead producers myself Lindsay, jim boolean and wes o'mary um and we were really the only people that that talked about the you know the casting process uh and that waited on the casting process um so ali just you know what a gem i mean she just has the precise right mixture of um innocence and and neuroses and 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 beauty and sexuality and weirdness and uh, power and all the, the, the complicated and variegated elements I knew would be required to inhabit the role of Haley. I, 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 and I see elements in her performance of like almost like a young female James Dean and some of the, just the weird quirks and eccentricities that you find in these performances in something like East of Eden or a rebel without a cause. Um, and then Sawandi Wilson, uh, you know, we, we put this film on Sawandi Wilson plays Sebastian. We, we put this, uh, the casting notice on Actors Access, and Sawandi read for this role, role just cold. Uh, didn't know him from Adam. And we just absolutely loved him. And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that sort of mercurial man-child, you know, 
um, impetuous thing that um, that he does while always having this twinkle in his eye of, of mischief. You know, he was, you know, in, in some ways he was kind of our our, our Loki character, right? He's sort of the, you know, our 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 god of mischief or our, you know, blowfly of mischief or something. And um, and then Agatha C- Camille McEwen, um, who a, a fellow New Orleanian. Um, uh, who uh, who read for us? Who I immediately, you know, when I was reading the script, I immediately thought of Camille. Camille had a small role in The Hollow, and uh, and she is she and I are rep by the same agent, and, and she read for us and wound up in the Agatha role. Um, and then my old buddy uh, Mike Mayhall, who uh, I've been collaborating with for several years now, and who's is who was one of my original inspirations for starting to make my own films in the first place because oh, Mike, wow. uh, yeah, Mike hired me must've been 10, 10 years or so ago now, um, to work on a film called Jake's road in Covington, Louisiana. Um, which was just a, an absolutely tremendous, um, empowering experience for me as, as an actor and as a burgeoning writer, filmmaker, to watch what Mike was doing. Mike Mayhall, by the way, Emmy-nominated Mike Mayhall, just received an Emmy uh, for uh, directing a digital series for Bronx SIU, so check that out. Well, congratulations, uh, congratulations to, to Mike. Mike. Um, Mike was also our stunt coordinator. Uh, and then... Uh, and Lindsay, a great performance, too. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And then Lindsay, of course, uh, who's been a part of, uh, of the cast of all of our films, um, and I, I sort of wrote Sadie with Lindsay in mind. So, uh, we were talking about who Sadie was, how Sadie talks and walks and moves and dresses. And, uh, in the course of, uh, that creative process where, where Michael Horn and I were, were refining and polishing the script. And, uh, as usual, uh, Lindsay came through big time. She um, sure and then, did. you know, we had some, in some of the smaller roles, we had, uh, some wonderful folks like Jeremy London. Uh, who's who's become a, a good friend of mine, Sherry Eakin. I wish I could cast in everything. Uh, who who plays Haley's mom? Uh, Rachel Riles is the young Haley. Hollis Elsey, Joe Van Zandt, Judith Daly, and then of course the wonderful, the inimitable, Richie Montgomery. Um, <laughs> yes. Who, yes. Who's not only a wonderful actor, but you know, it's just such a joy to have on the set. He's just so gregarious and funny, and you know, just troublemaker. You know. Always stirring the pot. So uh, well, and you know what? This is like an inside joke, but hopefully, if someone's listening, they saw Hallowed Ground, and I just wanted to say out loud as soon as he came on screen, "How about you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just brought all that back to me. Ground, Stephen, is worth watching for Richie's performance, too. I mean, the two, the, our two <laughs> ladies are absolutely amazing, but Richie steals it, man. He really does. He, he really does. <laughs> and uh, you are so correct. Um, uh, Lindsay, uh, just another outstanding performance. I really enjoy watching her and what I've seen her in so far. And um, and I have to, to add that when it came to the um, uh, character of Haley, uh, you know, I have to agree with you with all that you had to say about Ali. I'd, I'd like to share with you as a viewer, Miles, I was basing so much of my, uh, what's the right phrase here? I guess I was looking through her eyes through this whole situation right. the most. I, I don't know if that was intentional, but her responses kind of guided my own. Yeah, I think, yes. I mean, Haley is Haley is certainly the character. Haley is our 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 window, our gateway into this world. And we are, we should be with Haley. We should be following Haley. We should be uh, sympathizing and empathizing with Haley and rooting for Haley. So I think that's spot on. I'm glad to hear you say that, Stephen, because yeah, we should be, we, the audience are viewing this weird, troubled, complicated world through Haley's eyes. And of course, I'm not going to mention anything, Miles. So, so don't worry. I'll just say this. The twist of the film, and to me, it is a big twist. Uh, First of all, I have to be honest, I didn't see it coming at all. Uh, 
in fact, I was actually taken aback because I really don't even think I've ever viewed such a twist on <laughs> film before. Like, I thought, you know what? That is freaking clever. Like, I just have to mention that. That uh, it, it makes me want to go see the whole film again because uh, now I know certain things that I did not know before. So I wanted to mention that I did find the twist very intriguing. Well, I'm very pleased to hear you say that, Stephen. Um, when you have a big twist in a movie, right, it's, it's tricky. And um, one of the things that I think you have to do, and, you know, I'm thinking of a movie like Fight Club um, or uh, Mulholland Drive, you know, that had big twists. Yes. Fight Club, Fight Club, big twist. So The Sixth Sense. Yes. What these films do is they leave little breadcrumbs for the audience throughout. The sort of hint at the twist because because the twist shouldn't just emerge out of nowhere because that feels cheap and that feels like a filmmaker or a writer being too clever by half. Um, but if you go back and watch the film a second time, especially it, it, it's awesome to me. It's awesome when I see a movie, I see a twist that I didn't see coming, and then I go back and I think about the film again or I watch the film again and I go, oh, of course, oh, I get it, I get it now. You know, because good filmmakers have dropped red crumbs along the way, and 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 we try to do that here uh, in in the dinner party. So if you if you go back and revisit the film, uh, you might catch some some hints at, at what is to come with the twist. But you know, I, I'm just going back to uh, the Aronofsky discussion. I'm I just think go big or go home. So um, sure. when we were when we were thinking of of how to how to put a bow on this script. And on this story, um, I, I thought that twist was, was the only way to go. I, I realized that, you know, some people will probably say, ah, oh, it's too much. It, it seems to come out of nowhere, but whatever. Um, it, it, it undermines the film. It doesn't feel like the rest of the film. I, I couldn't disagree more, but I don't care because you know what? I'm going to go for it. And, and the people who love it will it's like, like the talking heads, right? People who love the talking heads freaking love the talking heads. Yes. The band I'm talking, David Byrne. Um, yes. And then there are people that are like, I don't get, I don't get talking heads. <laughs> so it's, um, so those are the people I'm looking for, you know, the people who are going to go, holy crap, that's fantastic. Um, and for, you know, for people who it turns off, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, maybe I'm not the filmmaker for you, I, I, you know, but I just, I just believe that we only get so many, so many shots, so many bites of the apple, right. As, as yes. filmmakers. And, um, you know, you might as well go for it. You don't, you don't, you don't know when you're going to get, have your next opportunity. And this just seemed right to me for so many reasons, uh, both connected to the narrative story reasons and external reasons, social reasons. Um, why this, this had, this film had to end this way. Um, mm -hmm. so we've, 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 I think we've done an excellent job, Stephen, of sort of talking all around it without revealing anything. And maybe we, maybe we piqued some, uh, listeners attention. That's right. That was one of my top goals, Miles. So I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you respond that way. Thank you. And I have to say, I, you know, no wonder your films are ones that I really enjoy watching for so many reasons, because I can see the passion and the efforts. Uh, you know, I, this is the second film that I've seen you direct and your se second performance that I've seen you in. And I have to say right now, I'm looking forward to seeing more. I'm looking for lo looking forward to going back and and checking more out of your phenomenal work. And uh, I would like to ask you the status of the film as far as those out there being able to view the dinner party. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, our original release plan entailed a small theatrical release on June 5th and and some events in select cities, including New Orleans and Los Angeles. But obviously, with the pandemic, uh, that is not happening. Uh, so the, the film will be available on every major streaming platform, save Netflix, on June 9th. So you'll be able to find it on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Fandango Now, all, all the usual suspects. 
and on your cable video on-demand menu, regardless of your cable carrier. So if you're with Cox or uh, Comcast or Time Warner, uh, you can just go to your search, your on-demand menu, and punch in the dinner party, and Very you nice. should be able to track it down. And then there will be a DVD release as well with some special features and stuff, which will which will happen you know, about a month after the streaming release. Well, that is wonderful, and I want to wish you the best on, on when the film does uh, become released on demand. And I'm certainly going to let folks know more about your film out there. But don't worry, not too much. Like I said, not too much. <laughs> but I did want to ask you, Miles, before we conclude. Um, you know, really, um, and I really, truly must say that I think that you are a very talented actor. So you know I admire your filmmaking skills. Uh, I, I think that uh, I was just telling someone uh, actually this earlier this morning that in my personal opinion, you know, I, I could see you doing all kinds of things, all kinds of characters. You you have the screen presence. You can bring an edge sometimes without uh, overextending uh, the emphasis of that edge. And then you also have that intensity. You can rev it up when you need it. So you could play all kinds of characters. And uh, I just want to wish you the best with your acting projects in the future. But that has me wondering, I mean, do you consider yourself an actor at heart first who happens to direct films? Or are you a director at heart who just happens to act along the way? Uh, I'm absolutely an actor at heart. At heart. And, and That's in fact, what I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I started. I started making my own movies to give myself more opportunities as an actor because I've got an act. I've got to act uh, to stay alive. It's just. It's my. It's in my DNA. It. 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 It feeds my soul. There's no question in my mind that I'm an actor first and foremost. But one of the things that 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 has done for me that thinking you know, that actor first thinking, it has given me a, a window and an ability uh, through which to talk to actors that actors really, really appreciate, I find. Because when I'm talking to an actor about what I want a particular scene or, or performance, I think about what I want to hear from a director in that way. You know, I, I can't tell you, you know, I've been on a lot of sets, you know, enormous things, smaller things, whatever. And there are a lot of directors, great technical directors out there who know their way backwards and forwards and upside down around a camera and a lighting rig, but do not know how to talk to actors. They do not know how to communicate what they're looking for in a performance, or they just forget to talk to the actors at all. And they're, and they, they concern themselves entirely with the tech. Um, so, I pride myself on being an actor's director. And that just comes from the fact that I am an actor first. And I love actors and I love the process of, of creating characters and not only as an actor, but as a director with other actors. So no question about it. 100%. I'm an actor first. I have grown to really enjoy directing both film and theater. And, um, I, sincerely hope that I'm afforded the opportunity to continue to do that. Uh, but no, no doubt about it. I'm an actor first. Well, Miles, I have to thank you for such a outstanding and enjoyable conversation. I'll tell you what, I had high expectations and they've been way exceeded. I uh, really, really do uh, enjoy speaking with you and I hope you'll come back again and visit me down the road. Well, Stephen, I appreciate it. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we really have. <laughs> Far more than I, than I had anticipated, and uh, and that is really refreshing to not not just talk about uh, dinner party or or miles, but this wide range of of things. And and I really I really really love that, and have enjoyed this conversation. Listen, if if your listeners would uh, do me the favor, you know, follow me on Instagram, Twitter at, at miles underscore doliac uh, for updates on the film. Um, I'm always posting something about our movies. Um, keep an eye out for new information. We're actually re-releasing our first film, The Historian, uh, this month, just a few days from now. It's going to be on Tubi TV with a towering performance by the most excellent William Sadler. Um, so keep an eye out for that on Tubi TV. 
And uh, if you if you watch our films and you like what we're doing, tell somebody about it, either you know in person or uh, via a user review online. Tell somebody about it because really word of mouth is so important uh, with regard to the success or failure of independent films. And Stephen, I want to thank you for what you do too, because what you're doing, uh, showcasing independent films and artists and giving them a platform to talk about not only their product, their project, but who they are as artists. It's just, it's, it's inspiring. And uh, so really appreciate you as well. Well, thank you so much, Miles. I, that really means a lot to me. Thank you. And I just want to wish you a wonderful summer because June is only a few days away. It is indeed. You too, sir. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. Mm-hmm.